Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is the show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest this week is a returning guest to Trigonometry. He's a YouTuber, Sargon Avakad. Carl Benjamin, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's good to have. How are you handling the, the are you self-isolating, I imagine? Uh, yeah, but I, I actually work from home. My, my office is in my garage. So honestly, my daily life is exactly the same. <laughs> I, I didn't realize I'd been self-isolating for the past like five years. So there we go. You've That's pioneered, why you're happy. Yeah, you've pioneered the whole movement. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting times. And uh, one of the things I was thinking, obviously, you uh, you and us as well, we've, we've spent a lot of time over the last few years uh, talking about the culture war. You know, mm. it seems to me that, you know, like when people are dying of coronavirus, when there's a shortage of ventilators, somehow what pronouns you use has become slightly less important. Do you do you get that sense? Uh, well, it's, it's inevitable, really, isn't it? Concerns about things like racism and sexism and trigger warnings and pronouns uh, are all very much, um, they're, they're, the, they're the kind of apex of first world problems like very minor hurt feelings that can be uh, blown out of proportion by people who have an interest in doing that, that sort of thing. Uh, but as soon as suddenly it's like, well, you might not have food, you might get sick with a terrible illness and die, uh, suddenly these things just naturally take a back seat. Uh, I, I guess the woke brigade are desperately praying that civilization doesn't collapse so they can continue <laughs> whining, about, <laughs> whining about the words <laughs> we're using, frankly, because otherwise they've got some problems, haven't they? But even even like we were talking about just now, the fact that actually it seems to be receding, we don't have these conversations as much. We're still having one particular conversation, uh, and that is whether to call the coronavirus uh, the Wuhan virus or the China virus. And is it in fact racist to do so? Because a lot of people think it is. Uh, where do you stand on that? Uh, I'm I'm going to get a takeaway. I can't tell you what kind of take it is because that might be racist. No, that's that's ridiculous. No one thinks that it's tied to ethnicity. Uh, what they're saying is that this is just the naming convention of the area or group of people upon which it first reaches public prominence and sort of enters into the mainstream narrative, isn't it? It's like Ebola is, what, is a river in Africa, isn't it? I, mean, I think it's a river Eastern, in the Congo. Yeah, a river in the Congo, yeah. You've got Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome and things like that. It's no one complains then. You know, no one complains of Spanish flu because it's not a judgment. But I, I suppose that the um I, I suppose there's a bit of resentment because perhaps in the, the case of like saying the Chinese virus, there is a judgment. Because I mean, I'm sure you guys have looked into these wet markets in China since all of this is yeah, that they do seem a little unsanitary. And <laughs> <laughs> understatement of the century, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I told him to be racist. But, you know, I, I, think, I think there might be something here that's, that's valid, a cultural mm-hmm. practice that might be valid to criticize. Mm-hmm. And, and the weird thing is, you notice how many of the same kind... They, they, it's, the, the reason that it's worth actually calling it something other than just coronaviruses. Coronavirus is a category of viruses. I didn't know all of this before when coronavirus came mm-hmm. out. But, um, but basically, there are lots of different kinds of coronaviruses, and a lot of them have come from China, probably due to these unsanitary conditions. Um, like SARS, was it SARS, bird flu, and there have been a bunch of others. Swine um, flu, black, yeah. Swine flu, yeah. Mm. The Black Death came from China as well, uh, probably under similar conditions. So it, I think there's probably a conversation to be had. Like, can, I, so, can I just stop you there? I think we should yeah. refer it to, in the modern, it's 2020, we should refer it to as the plague of color. 
<laughs> well, I think I think the technical term should be the Wuhan flu or Wuhan virus, right? Yeah. Because that's specific, you know, because like I said, there, there are other Chinese viruses. But uh, I can see why Trump's calling it the Chinese virus. And I, I can't believe that the Chinese Communist Party allowed it to provoke them. I can't believe it's something that they've tried firing back on. Like, mm. China's an awful state. Like, the state, the, the, the government of China are, are genuinely fascist. Mm. Like, they've got, you know, a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. They've got these social credit systems. They're, they're utterly tyrannical. They don't have free press. They don't have free movement. They, they have a command economy. I mean, it really does look like a fascist government if you just tot out all the things that they're doing. And so, I mean, are we taking moral instruction from the Chinese Communist Party? I, I don't think we are. Well, I, I think this is why Chinese Trump has virus. started calling it the, the Chinese coronavirus, oh, yeah. because he sees it as a kind of warfare situation where the Chinese are trying mm-hmm. to create this idea that the U.S. Army came up with this thing. Um, and, and, and also the reality is that, as far as we know, China is responsible, not only the wet markets, yeah. but they've suppressed the information that could have allowed other people to prepare better. And to pe- people are dying around Europe and the rest of the world because of that. Uh, and actually, yeah. well, that's probably one of the things that will change fundamentally. And we'll talk more about other things that will change. But our relationship with China is going to be completely different when this is over, isn't it? Well, I, I would hope so. I think a lot of people have been thinking out of sight, out of mind when it comes to China. But I mean, one of the one of the consequences of outsourcing our industrial capacity to China, um, it, I mean, you know, it was appealing because they could throw infinite amounts of sweatshop labor at the things we wanted to, to make, to, to buy. So we could buy all of this stuff dirt cheap. But I mean, nothing's, you know, everything comes with a price and the price that we've had to pay in this regard is that China now is the second largest economy and it's headed by a communist party, a one-party totalitarian dictatorship, hmm. where the, the Xi Jinping has just given himself executive powers for life. So it's, it's one of those, like, you know, this was quite a high price to pay. And I think that they're going to sacrifice a lot of, a lot of things that we might consider things that shouldn't be sacrificed before they, they change their ways. Um, and so I think that... Um, I think we've really got to rethink it. I mean, I personally would prefer a more sort of, I, and I don't want to use the word populist, uh, populist, but I, I, can, I can't think of a better way. Um, essentially, we, we should have a kind of social understanding that you don't buy from China. I know that sounds strange, but I mean, we should really think. That's like, pretty fucking hard right <laughs> now, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, that's the problem. It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's massively hard. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I do think, like like with the climate change stuff, um, they can demand, like, you know, in Sweden, they're demanding a climate dictatorship and things like this. But at the end of the day, I think that the, the general ethos will filter into the popular consciousness. And I think people will say, well, I'd rather buy, you know, I mean, I, I you know, where I can, I buy, you know, free range eggs, right? I don't like battery farming. Mm. So I do my part to buy free range eggs because I can afford it, admittedly. But like, you know, the, 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 I think that these these things are these the does the demand does create the change in the market. I think that's something that we can do. That's at least something that the individual can do in their personal lives. Say, right, do I need this cheap tat from China? Probably not. You know, could I buy a more expensive version made somewhere else? Yes, I probably could. Maybe I should do that. You know, maybe we can actually uh, make the world a better place slightly by degree. Um, but yeah, I, I really would like to rethink the relationship with China because it was foolish to allow them to essentially buy up all of the jobs that we thought we didn't want to do because that's hollowed out the West anyway. You know, I think the, the main the main crisis that brought Brexit and Trump, I think, was the loss of this kind of social ladder 
that was manufacturing jobs and practical jobs because there's this arrogance about um, academia, I think, and the middle class where they think, well, the only way that you can be smart and successful is if you go to university. So we need to get everyone to go to university. But some people just don't learn academically. Some people learn through doing, using their hands, you know, and they're not, they're not any less smart than anyone else. It's just a different way of viewing the world, and interacting with the world. You know, it's, it's, it's more uh, concrete, less conceptual. And it seems arrogant to say, yeah, no, fuck you guys. You can just join us in the, in the smarty pants area where you can get down and read the books. You know, I mean, I, I know lots of my family who are very much in the category that I'm talking about, and they, they are not academics. It's just not what they're about, you know, but they are hardworking and they are smart and they can get things done. And I think that we, we, could, we could at least, have, you know, give, give a bit of ear to these people, a bit of consideration. But uh, but these are the gammons, aren't they? So these are the race theory <laughs> gammons that I'm talking about. So why would we, you know, they're the racists. So, you know. I swear to God, one of the, the difficulties with uh, doing these uh, videos remotely now instead of in studios, we did it last time, is that Francis now looks like the most gammony person ever. <laughs> <laughs> he could not be any pinker if you fucking tried. Yeah, yeah. I did actually look at my uh, skin color on the Dulux color chart. And it is actually called a lovely shade of gammon, um, <laughs> but there we are, Carl. I, I wanted to uh, talk to you in particular about Trump uh, because mm. the, initially he was criticised about his response to the virus, uh, the way that he was dealing with it, and the, you know, and there are a lot of sound criticisms there. But he seems to have changed the debate to whether it's racist to call it the China virus. And in fact, somebody told me the other day that one of his cabinet called it the Kung Flu. Is, has Trump rather really, really skillfully reframed the debate from his own approach to it to actually this debate, which isn't important in any shape or form? I think the, <clears throat> I think the debate that isn't important in any shape or form is essentially a red herring to throw off the, the sort of woke karate who are going to get their knickers in a twist about this. Um, because if you look at what Trump's doing, uh, it seems to actually be pretty good, uh, generally. Even if... Now, you, you've got to remember that Trump is an entity, right? He's a, he's a political entity, and he has known qualities and defined boundaries. And, you know, some of these known qualities are him being brash and boorish, and some of the boundaries are, you know, the limits of his ability to articulate. Um, but he's he's also got other he ha he has virtues as well as much as a lot of people don't want to admit it. And one of the things I think him and Boris have done, which is actually really sensible, is the daily or you know almost daily uh, briefings that they've been doing, uh, just this you know streamed on the internet, played on TV, um, because the there is a concern that leadership uh, like the, the the people at the top need to show level-headedness, right? And this is this is the leadership quality. Now, Trump might say everything he does is the best and they have the best <laughs> and everyone thinks so at all times, but it is also a kind of reassuring regularity. It becomes the normal, right? To have, you know, the, 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 you know, the president get up and even if you don't like him, he sits there and says, well, look, you know, here's an expert here, here's an expert here. These are what these experts are going to say. This is what we're doing. You know, we're doing our best. This is a surprise. It's been strong enough. Because you say, you know, Trump was criticized for not doing enough now too much. And it's like, yeah, he's going to be criticized. There. At least, you know, they, they are really pathological when it comes to their criticisms of Trump. And so I'm just like, okay, what, you know, what's he actually doing? And they, they're currently trying to put this $2 billion uh, package through so that Americans will get money, tax rebates, and businesses will continue to exist. So 
once this is passed, people will have jobs to go back to. Uh, it, it appears that it's actually the Democrats who are blocking this. And Trump signed all, off on all, all of it. Uh, it was his treasury that was demanding that there was money being given to people. And I mean, like, on reflection, you look at it and think, well, hang on, this sounds like something Bernie Sanders would do, right? This, you know, to give people money. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a liberal. I'm not a socialist. And so I'm sat here thinking, right, okay, I mean, you know, needs must as the devil drives. But I, you know, that strikes me as being uh, a, a very, like, I, th- I think it's the sort of precedent that could either go really well or really badly, you know? So I'm kind of hoping that it goes really well and not really badly. But you can see the position that they're in. And for some reason, the Democrats are blocking this. So, I mean, I don't really know what Trump is supposed to be doing because he's not a dictator. There's a lot of devolved power in the United States and by design. So, I mean, you know, like uh, Cuomo shutting down New York, it looks really reasonable given what New York is, mm. you know, a massive epicenter of people and commerce and traffic and stuff. Um, but if you're in the Midwest sort of thing, and uh, for example, like here, I'm in the southwest of England, shutting down London totally makes sense. Uh, but I mean, social gatherings and pubs, fine. Uh, but there are still loads of people on the streets here. Everything just seems to be fairly normal. Nobody's, you know, we've had very, very few incidents of this virus. So everyone's kind of going about their day as if it's a day off. Um, but generally, I don't think he's done a bad job so far. I don't know what everyone's expecting. What, what, what do we want him to do? Mm. And, and one thing I'm wary of is this kind of continental style uh, lockdown. I think the, the, the distinction between uh, what we in the United States have done and Canada as well, and in fact, New Zealand's only just locked down as well, uh, compared to the speed of it on the continent, I think, the two, I think it speaks to two different mindsets. And the, the English-speaking world tends to have a kind of, you need to be responsible. You know, the government isn't your daddy. You need to be responsible. And so, you know, we should be personally more responsible. I don't really want the, the, the police to come out and check my papers for going down to the shops. But in return for that freedom, I'm not going to be responsible and go down the shops, especially if I feel sick, you know. Um, so, yeah. I don't know but what else they can do. It's interesting. I used to, I, obviously, I grew up in a society where the police would check your papers, but they wouldn't check it on your way to the shops because the shops were always fucking empty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like Francis uh, growing up in, uh, for parts of his life in Venezuela. Uh, but um, what, do you, what do you make about, of what's happening? You, you mentioned the UK. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about that steady reassurance because my wife, who's completely apolitical, uh, she watched Boris Johnson address to the nation yesterday and she said, oh, I thought he actually did really well. Uh, whereas whenever David Cameron used to appear on TV, she used to instantly have to halt, suppress, vomit. She just thought that guy is so fake. So there's something about Boris and particularly the way that he's handling this. You know, he's lost all the, you know, he hasn't referenced a, a Greek tragedy for weeks now. <laughs> he's cut out the jokes. You know what I mean? Like he's taken yeah. it seriously. Uh, what do you make of how we've handled this? Because you say you're a liberal and he is clearly someone who who tried to have the most careful response to this in the sense that he didn't want to impose draconian sanctions. Yeah, the hands-off approach. <laughs> right, but, but I think we can all see that that didn't work. I mean, people were not responding the way that you would want. Hmm. Well, I mean... Like I, I, I'm never, I'm never excited about the exercise of state power, really, mm. in any regard. Uh, it's, it's not something I'd like to see. I like to see um, sort of spontaneous action by people living their lives. But uh, I mean, it can be warranted in certain circumstances. Obviously, you know, during World War II, it was completely warranted that, that effectively everyone had to be on the same team. And this seems to be a crisis of fair magnitude. So I don't think that what they're doing is necessarily um, unwarranted at all. 
Um, I think I, I don't I don't I don't think it's going to get too silly either. To be honest, I don't think that the police are going to you know be like right. Well, you know that's it. Boris has said inside. So inside, if there are some kids playing out the grass or something, you know, I don't think it's going to be like that. And I I think that we'll weather the worst of it. I, what else are we going to do? <laughs> like we're just going to well, die. That's a possibility. <laughs> but, um, but I, I I I think your point about them being level headed is actually quite good, and the same goes for Trump as well. Uh, you know, the, they're very eccentric people, Boris and Trump, in their own right. Um, but I, th- I think that they have taken the right tone about it. It looks like they're concerned. And like when they first started doing the press conferences, they look exhausted. You know, they look they looked really tired. So, you know, to me, as you know, I mean, I, I, I you know, I think they're doing a half decent job. But to me, it just looked like they'd been working all night, you know, before they came and gave their, their uh, announcements. And I, I think, in a way, that's reassuring. I think that people need to see that they are taking it seriously. They're not being frivolous and flippant. And, you know, we just have to pull together, I guess. You know, it's the blitz spirit, as they say. And, Carl, there seems to be this interesting phenomenon, particularly amongst the left, where they seem to be wanting to get ever more authoritarian. And you see it with some of their commentary, with some of their commentary online. Do you agree with that? I can guess you don't by what you've said before. And more importantly, why do you think that is? Um, I think this 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 is most um, evident in the proposed bill that Nancy Pelosi put up uh, instead of agreeing to the bill drafted by the Republicans, which, like I said, the bill drafted by the Republicans is effectively uh, a Democrat bill. It looked very, very, very friendly to their positions. Um, but instead, they uh, the, the bill Pelosi promoted was loaded with wokeness, frankly, uh, loaded with uh, all of their pet projects. So, you know, like further political grabs on, on like, you know, healthcare environment, diversity quotas and information, like making, you know, making it mandatory that every company and every government agency have to give over the diversity information. It's like, well, there's only one reason why they're ever going to need that information. And that's so they can say, well, that company's racist or that's sexist or whatever, you know. That's the only reason they'd ever ask for this and and so this this sort of like weird power grab is annoying, but I think it's because honestly, the I mean, if we were to boil down the left and the right to being um, sort of, they, I mean, the left seem to have a, a particular desire for order and central planning, and if we're going to say the right is the sort of libertarian types who you know the sort of people who want constitutional government. And that's the only way I can frame what far right is, because I think if they thought I was a Nazi, they'd just call me a Nazi. But instead, they call me far right. And I'm like, okay, well, I want constitutional order, I want limited government, mm-hmm. I want personal independence. So if, if that's the, the, the opposite, well, then they're going to naturally push towards more state control in order to create a more perfect system. And uh, I think that the imperfections are kind of inevitable. I don't think there's any well, it's point. interesting, isn't it? Because I think the desire for order is actually probably something that just both the political extremes want. There are people on what you might actually accurately describe as the far right who also want order, mass deportations, you know, an authoritarian government as well. So I, I think it's actually just uh, what it really reveals is that while being an actual far right person is completely unacceptable. In, in civil society, in the public square, being a far left person is not only acceptable, you're actually welcomed, you, you get invited on question time, etc. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very dubious about calling the fascists far right, to be honest. I, mm. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I just don't see what the definition of far right we're using that could make them and, say, 
you know, all, all the sort of like ANCAP types, you know, the, the, the anti-state preppers who, you know, just want the government to leave them alone. How, how do they fit into the same box? And I really don't think they do. Um, and I think that the, there's a, I think, honestly, the far left has been deliberate about trying to portray them as far right, mm. um, because I think they're a lot closer to the left than they are to the right, frankly. Uh, all of the fascists were communists first or socialists first. And if you, it's, it's a natural evolution of the socialist philosophy. Because the, the socialists, effectively, uh, Marx wants um, revolution of the proletariat. They seize the means of production. They create um, their temporary dictatorship of the proletariat under whatever glorious leader. And they implement real socialism. And that, for some reason, fades away over time into a stateless, classless, propertyless, moneyless society. Um, the, the fascists, like Mussolini and uh, Giovanni Gentili, just openly said, well, socialism is a dead doctrine. It doesn't work. You know, that's not going to happen. However, we could take over everything and perfect the state entirely. We're not going to get rid of the state. We're going to turn the state into essentially our model for God. You know, it provides, you know, nothing against the state, nothing outside of the state. Um, I can't remember the exact formulation of it, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, the, the state becomes God effectively. And so I don't think that you can draw a straight line from liberalism to fascism but you'd have to go through socialism and communism first. And I think that's why China's Communist Party just looks a lot like Nazi Germany at this point. I think that the, 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 there are kind of a series of incentives and necessities that you end up falling through, whether you like it or not. You know? Well, I think, when, sorry, France, I just want to finish yeah. on this point. So, but I think when we talk about the evolution, I mean, there is a... Uh, evolution from what you might describe as conservatism, conservatism being the desire for order, for cleanliness, for homogeneity, etc. Right. So when we talk about that being the right, I'm not talking about the ANCAP and whatever, and the, mm. the libertarian right, but perhaps the conservative right, people who, if you take that to its extreme branch, you end up perhaps on what has conventionally been described as the far right, which is the kind of white nationalist Nazi type way of thinking. Yeah. yeah I mean, as, as with all of these things, the, the term left and right is not really very useful. No, no. The, the, this, this is why I'm, I'm specifically naming ideologies and uh, trying to essentially connect a narrative of how they came about and what they led to. And the reason they led to these things um, because then I think you have a more sensible structure of like where people sit in the sort of tree of ideology, um, because essentially all of these things came out of the Enlightenment. And then you've got like, say, Catholic traditionalism sort of thing. It's an entire separate branch. You know, it's it's not an Enlightenment uh, ideal. It comes from the Bible. It comes from theocracy. It comes from tradition. And so it, it, it's got a different set of values. And they can end up looking very similar. You're absolutely right. Um, but I just, I just hate using terms left and right because it just doesn't mean anything. Like a fascist is so far away from the sort of like liberal libertarian type, mm. even though, you know, they get lumped into the same box. And I just, I don't think it's very useful. But, um, but anyway, I, like, I think, I think fascism has been successfully discredited at this point. I don't, I think the 20th century has done a number on it. And I mean, you would have thought the same would have happened for communism too, but uh, essentially the next thing we have to do is discredit communism and hopefully we can just hover around a kind of realistic liberalism and just kind of a, a liberalism that's interested in dealing with the facts as they are. Cause a lot of the distinction here is like, is an ought. It's like, this is the case. Yeah, but it ought to be the case that it's not. It's like, why, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And we kind of have to accept that. 
Well, discrediting communism is uh, very easy. Just let Ash Sarkar keep coming back <laughs> for question time. Anyway, sorry, Francis, carry on, mate. No, I was, uh, I've, got a, I've got a theory about that. Is that because Che Guevara looks a lot better on a T-shirt than Adolf Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he's, he was cool. You know, yeah. you can't you can't deny. It. And if you wanted to, if you wanted to be the the resistance to uh, you know the the imperialist Americans, uh, uh, then he was a good symbol of resistance. Uh, I mean, a lot of people didn't like him. Who lived in Cuba, he killed a lot of people with his own hand. You know, he, <laughs> and yeah, you know, he had some interesting opinions on black people and things like that. But if you were a middle class kid who didn't like the Vietnam War, well, he's your hero. Absolutely. And uh, we're talking right now about civil liberties. And actually, the government has taken a lot of our civil liberties away. And you could argue that absolutely there's a, there's a right to do it and there's a reason to do it. But there is also a precedent being set where sometimes the government takes away certain liberties. And after the problem has passed, they're not so keen to give them back. Do you think that what we're going to see after Corona has gone we're going to see a real struggle to get certain liberties given back to us. Well, that's the fear. Um, I believe that there was a specific time frame. That yeah, two years. Two, two years, two yeah. Years, yeah. Um, so that hopefully will, will be as honoured as we expect it to be, because the last thing I want to have to do is fight a revolution against the tyrannical government. I mean, I, 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 I'm just saying, I, I don't want to. Right? I'm comfortable, I'm fat, I'm happy. You know, I, I don't want to have to get barricades and shoot at soldiers. Like, I don't have to do that. You know, We could do a Rocky montage, Carl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Just working out, mate, getting all ripped with abs. <laughs> Hey, what do you, me, everyone's going to have to do it if that's the case. <laughs> like, it's not just me. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the thing that is worrying, though, is, I mean, like, I don't want to downplay the danger of corona, the coronavirus, but the, the fatality rate is very low uh, when, like, because, I mean, and every day it's getting lower and lower and lower because the, the number of people being tested and the number of fatalities uh, is not necessarily congruent with the number of people who have the disease mm, mm. and the number of fatalities. So every day, the number of fatalities actually becomes a smaller percentage of the people who are tested for it. Um, and so it could be that this is actually a massive overreaction. Now, I'm, look, I'm not saying that there aren't problems. There are obviously problems. And obviously, shutting things down is a way of preventing it from reaching the, the worst-case scenario. Um, but I, I do think that that will be a theory that is considered after this is all over. Um, did we overreact? Uh, did we allow the government to have powers that we actually don't want the government to have? And this was something that we, you know, was considered uh, in retrospectively with the Patriot Act. And still people are not happy with the powers that the American government gave itself. Um, I guess only time will tell, but I'm, I'm really hoping that cooler heads will prevail and people who actually care about the integrity of the system will, you know, in the future say, okay, well, no, this, this actually you know, this was a mistake or, you know, whatever it turns out to be, I'm not going to make a prediction, but like, you know, if, if it turns out this was unnecessary, this should become understood. You know, we, we shouldn't just jump just because the media environment is panicking. I mean, watching Piers Morgan harp mm. on on Twitter, it's like, Piers, shut up, right? You are a fat idiot. You are not a doctor. They are taking advice from the best, you know, experts in this in the world. And Piers Morgan's like, do this, do that. <laughs> Piers, I don't care what you saw on Twitter, mate. I just don't care. Like, shut up. <laughs> and, and that leads into a question that I, I, I particularly wanted to ask you, in that do you think part of this hysteria comes from the media, the mainstream media, 
hyping this up because, you know, this is a chance for them to gain ground and, you know, reclaim some of their lost viewers and listeners and actually create this state of hysteria. Um, they they definitely have incentives to do it. I mean, one of the things I don't do in my video titles is put all caps um, because that, to me, feels like uh, hysteria mongering. You know, it feels mm. like clickbait. Um, you, you know, so if I just put my my title as, as a normal sentence, a normal title as I would, I would give an essay sort of thing, then I feel that I'm not being hysterical and clickbaity. I realize that's very subjective, but that's just the way I feel about it. Um, but the media, but you, you can't deny that there is an incentive to do, do that. Um, it probably does get more views, probably does get more clicks. And in a media ecosystem where a bunch of them are dying and acti- you know, actively failing and need that traffic to justify um, more investment and to advertisers, um, you can see why they would be jumping on this. And yeah, I think it's entirely unhelpful. I mean, Trump actually did dress down one reporter who was, he, you know, he called him uh, you know, fear-mongering. And I agree. I think that th- this is why Boris and Trump have been doing such a good job of just acting calmly and saying, look, we're doing what we can. You know, we're doing our best rather than running around screaming that the sky's falling and that we're all going to die. It's not very useful. Um, and it, I think the problem, is, like, the, I think the reason that... Um, Boris and Trump have been pushed to this degree as well, is I think they, they really don't want to do this. I don't think they want to shut down because they, I think they view their success as hinging on a good economy. And obviously shutting down the country means that's the end of the good economy. Um, I don't think anyone's going to blame them for that though, necessarily. What choice did they have? But I, I think it was pressure that builds up and it, it, like, it does become a kind of echo chamber where they just hear everyone around going, oh God, we're all going to die if we don't do X. And so naturally you're going to feel compelled to have to do something even if that might not be the wisest thing. But, um, but that's, just, that's just human decision-making for you. Well, the thing I would say on that is I think one of the things that I've noticed is all the people that we've had on the show in the past, scientists and people like that, they are all very much of the opinion that if we don't take the, some of the drastic actions that we're taking now, we will end up in a situation where because of the, the peak we get over the capacity of the health system to be able to deal with it. And then you'll end up with a lot of people dying who would not have died otherwise. And in fact, they may not even die of the coronavirus. They may die yeah. simply because they didn't have access to an intensive care bed because that was taken up by somebody. Um, it's, it's like this thing now where there's actually half of the ICU beds uh, in this country are taken up by people under 50. And most of them won't die from it, right? But they're taking up the bed and there will come, there will come a point if the infection keeps spreading that, Older people who are essentially, well, okay, they're probably not going to make it anyway. They never get a chance to even have their life potentially saved simply because all the beds are taken up. So I do think that we do have to take it seriously, particularly, as I say, the people who who know what they're doing. And and it's not like you're saying otherwise. No, no, I know. I I I didn't mean to imply that we shouldn't take it seriously. Obviously, we absolutely should. Um, I'm, I, there, there is there is a historical precedent though of experts overestimating things. Mm. Uh, this, mm. this is like this is one of the problem with the climate debate is that oh we've got a prediction we're all going to die in twelve years. <laughs> yeah, but I'm actually old enough to remember all of the other predictions that we were going to die in twelve years and we didn't. You know, Al Gore by this point we'd have no ice caps. It's like he was full of shit. Mm. You know, it's it, and it's it's not. It's not that they aren't brilliant, and it's not that they aren't experts in the field, obviously. It's just the world is a massively complex place. And mm. I'm not saying that I'm the one who understands it either. Mm. I, I can just admit that, you know, 
we have to look at the precedents. Well, global warming is a totally different thing. It's much more complicated, I think. And, and actually, you, you, you're absolutely right, though, mate, because I, I remember when I was at school, I think by this point, we're supposed to run out of oil 20 years ago, yep. run out of coal pretty much now, and then blah, blah, blah. So, no, I take your point. But I think epidemics are slightly different. Um, Can I just interrupt? And that's proof why you never trust a Soviet education system, mate. But, <laughs> I actually, too, <laughs> I actually went to school in Britain, mate, for most of my education. So. Yeah, no, he said Soviet education. We <laughs> so, so, so you've just slammed the British education system yourself, mate. Um, like, like a good self-hating Brit. Anyway, um, moving on slightly, uh, Carl, what do you think as we look at Francis drink uh, his... I don't know why the screen is still on Francis. This is completely... I'm going to change this. I can't handle it anymore. What, what, this is censorship, typical <laughs> fucking Russian. Exactly. Yes, we must shut it down. To the gulag with you for, for drinking from the wrong <laughs> mug. Uh, but what, what we started talking about the culture war, and I want to come back to it because I, I wonder what you think as someone who talks about this a lot and who sees a lot of this stuff and does a lot of analysis on it. What do you think the impact will be? Like, I, I've been way na too naive on all this stuff. Like, after the last election, I was like, okay, finally, the, the idiots are going to realize... <laughs> <laughs> that no one actually likes them, no one shares the stupid points of view, and actually yeah. we can have a proper political debate about the stuff that matters. Didn't really happen. No. Do you think that as a result of this, some of the woke stuff is going to fall away and we're all going to... We, we can actually talk about stuff other than, you know, idiots on university campuses shutting down speakers because they don't believe in 50 genders. Um... I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I think that it'll only be a temporary respite if we get it, um, mm. because it won't. It won't change the fundamental contention that they have a different definition of equality to everyone else. And while they pursue that definition of equality, uh, we'll never be able to come to a resolution because they'll continually ask for things that aren't in our definition of equality. Like I would. I would say that most reasonable people would define equality as equality of treatment, equality under the law. So one rule for all, right? And that's, that's, it's very ancient, actually. That's a very ancient idea in English culture. Um, it hasn't always been applicable, obviously, or applied. But it's, it's, a, it's an ancient idea that you'd like, you know, really, that's a form of equality. It's say if, you know, because we, we invent the idea of personal sovereignty. So, okay, well, if every man is going to be treated like a sovereign, then every man has to be treated under the same rule, right? The law has to be consistent among them all. And so that's, that's easy for us to then define what is and is not equality because we we are concerned with procedural equality so if if uh you know yourself or francis go up to i don't know whatever whatever i'm going to use for an example and you get treated differently to me then you say well that wasn't equal because there's a demonstrable inequality there and there's there's you know it's an arbitrary thing um but if we end up going through the process and there is an inequality at the end for example it might be a test or something you know yeah you might be way smarter than me and we get different grades, but the test was, it, we were on equal footing when we took the test. Then it was about factors that are beyond the control of the, the person involved. But the, the, the way the woke left view equality is about, it's conceptual. It's about outcome. They don't care about the procedure. They care that, for example, men earn like 15% more money in aggregates than women do. But then anytime you look at the procedure, you can't find any particular sexism there. Because the problem, or, you know, quote-unquote problem, like this isn't a problem, but the, the, the difference is made up primarily by the fact that women just work fewer hours a week than men. They don't do actually as much work as men do uh, by choice. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? 
Um, and so the, the, this, this will, until we kind of square this circle, until we resolve why they're asking for what they're asking for, we will never be able to effectively drive them off because we have to be able to nail down, look, no, if you want to use the word equality, it must mean procedural equality, not conceptual equality. Mm. Because honestly, I don't think they're really being honest about why there are inequalities at the end of our procedures, which I generally view to be fairly fair. I mean, I think they're, 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 they're as good as they're going to get as far as I'm concerned. Sounds pretty racist to me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now that's now I'm racist. <laughs> it just seems reasonable to me, you know? Yeah. But, Carl, there's a question that I really want, and I want to move it on sort of towards globalization, unless, Constantine, you wanted to add No, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the culture war before we move. I mean, think globalization is one of, definitely one of the issues we'll talk about in a second. But in terms of the culture war, I guess I'm kind of... Uh, mm. I've I've almost destroyed my own argument because I, I remember like two days ago there was an article in Vice talking about how um, life saving transgender reassignment surgery <laughs> is now being delayed because of stupid people who are dying of the coronavirus. How <laughs> transphobic! How transphobic! Exactly, and and I just I don't understand whether whether they i mean do are people do you think people are going to stop reading vice because of this stuff and eventually we will end up in a position where maybe just like the demand for that kind of content is going to fall because people really realize how useless and pointless it is well i mean if if people start encountering real world problems then yeah this the demand for this is definitely going to go away because i mean all of this sort of um highly introspective me 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 view of the world you know my my gender identity my this my that it's all very much contingent on the fact that they aren't about to starve to death or get overrun by bandits or something like that you know and you know there, there are going to be no um there, there are going to be no uh, gender queers in foxholes when the <laughs> when the barbarian hordes come they're gonna be like oh the men can protect us oh what's a man oh no no that's a man <laughs> Suddenly we can define man and define women, and now it's the men's job to protect the women. You know, when when <laughs> they they they'll 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 collapse on that one very very quickly. I think, uh, but yeah. So in, until until there's a return to normalcy, I would think it'd be less effective as an argumentative tactic. Um, but I, I mean, like I said, it's not going to go away though. It's not going right. to go away. It's so we, like, all right, what Carl is saying is we're in business for for a nice little while yet. All right, fantastic. Oh, yes. Excellent <laughs> stuff. Thank you, Carl. Our sponsors are all watching and calming down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want them to go away. You know, I mean, so I do we, man. Them, you know? Well, this is the one of the ironies that of all the stuff that you do and that we do is we would love not to have to do trigonometry. Yeah, yeah. we would love yeah. to 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 talk about other stuff, and I think yeah. you're the, are you are the same. Dude, I'm exactly the same. I, I started a, a second channel just so I could just do it anyway. Like, you know, like the 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 videos about the what the thing the, the way that the society is changing because of activism from the left i think is very important i think it is important that people are aware that there are things i mean like even with the conservative government this is still all advancing through local authorities because the people in the lo position of local power have been well, frankly tend to be quite pro intersectionality mm. and i don't know why I, you know I don't know why that is but they just seem to be and there's very little that appears that conservatives can do which is annoying because I mean they are the government and they probably should be like defunding some of this nonsense by this point. I mean like the the whole the whole thing is really annoying because a lot of it is predicated on terms like patriarchy, you know, and it's like okay, we'll define that. It's like well the rule of men. It's like, okay, we'll define 
what a man is. Well, a man is a social construct. It's like, so what you're saying, you've got a circular argument here where the concept of man, defi- you know, created itself to create the patriarchy that creates itself. So wh- where's the origin point? And that's obvious nonsense. That's an obvious, it's a logical fallacy. But if you, if you ground the term man as coming from the biological uh, expression of a human being, um, a male human being, as an adult human male, and woman being adult human female. Oh, suddenly, shit! I know, I know. <laughs> so, suddenly, suddenly you don't find yourself in this uh, hmm. an endless circle of definitions, you know, self-referential definition. And so now you can actually resolve what you're saying. You've got, you know, the, the origin, the, 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 the method, and then the conclusion, and you've reached, you've reached a, a sensible statement, unlike the way things are being done now. And yet, this is still going on, and you know these things are still being proliferated. So I, I do find it rather frustrating, I have to say. And at some point, it is all going to have to be undone, because frankly, I mean, it, you you can't base a theory on something that is self-referential like that. It's not going to work. It's it's obviously not going to represent reality, and that's the problem. So racist and transphobic. Excellent. Now moving on to globalization. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on to globalization, Carl, because. Yes. The standard uh, thinking for well, the vast majority, I would say, liberals is the fact that we're an interconnected planet, and that means that we can trade freely, we can move freely around the planet, and this is only beneficial to us and to everybody else. But will the coronavirus change that and the way that we perceive borders and nation states and all the rest of it? Well, the coronavirus uh, is a, is something of a nationalist dream, actually, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's it's destroyed the myth of globalization and the the one sided uh, view of it, the narrative that it's only beneficial and there's nothing bad that comes from it. Um, I mean, for example, Italy has such a bad case of the coronavirus because they had loads of Chinese workers working in factories in Milan. Uh, I didn't know that until after this had happened, but I looked into it, and it turns out it's true. And so this this came from movement of workers from China. And it's the same with Iran. Iran has a lot of um, movement with China as well. I'm surprised that Africa hasn't got major problems mm. too. But I would imagine it's something to do with population density because uh, Africa's got very low population density. But anyway, um, yeah, the, 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 the great dream of the Schengen zone is over. I mean, even Germany has closed their borders. If even Germany has closed their borders, then... There must be some truth to the statement that borders work, walls work. They, you know, preventing people from crossing a thing will prevent those problems from coming with them. That is true. You know, it's it, and the thing is, I'm not saying that we have to do this, but um, but I think there is a, a case for addressing the concept of immigration at this point. Um, there has been a lot of immigration. I think a lot of it's been ideological on the part of the governments, you know, the, the reason for opening up. I mean, yeah, Tony Blair is alleged to have said he just did it to rub the right's face in diversity. But okay, now we're looking at global pandemics and the collapse of supply chains and, man, you know, unable to get manufactured items. It's like, okay, may, maybe maybe we should have been slightly more self-reliant. There is there is still some value in the idea of self-reliance, you know. There's, not, there's no value in the idea of global trade and movement and stuff like that there is. But they, there is there is there are good parts and bad parts of both, and I think that a sensible compromise between the two would be at least a step forward. Absolutely, man, and it's really it's a really important conversation, one which has obviously taken a back seat with everything that's happening now, yeah. uh, because one of the things that I thought was very strange is that you know Boris is a liberal Tory, so what what really happened after the last election is he went yeah points based immigration system. 
except under that new immigration system, actually, I think a lot of the people who've been calling for immigration to be reduced were very likely to be disappointed by the outcome because the way that system was calibrated, you probably were going to end up with the same or if not more uh, immigration, right? So Yeah, uh, it's hard to know now though, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, he's, he's like, we're going to put a points-based immigration system in and then suddenly everyone's got to close their borders and no one can travel. Right. So did, would it work? We don't know. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think I think this is the thing is, uh, I think at least we, we now are at the point where we're having a conversation where, you know, mm. as you talk about, we need a compromise. You're not saying shut the borders permanently and never let another no. foreigner in. And I, that's never been your position. Uh, but what you are saying is we need to, to look at a sensible way of managing immigration and we need to check who comes in. And it's one of the funniest things to me, actually, about this whole thing was, and as you know, I'm not a, a UKIP fan or, a, or even a Farage fan particularly, but one of the things that got him criticized the most during the Brexit referendum was him saying that we should check whether people have lethal diseases before they come into the country. Do you remember why that? Not? Yeah, do you remember do, that? Yeah. 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 Why, why, why wouldn't we do that? You know, yeah. that's the thing. It's, you know, the, the, this is what I mean about like, the, there is, I mean, it's just prudence, isn't it? It's just common sense. It's mm. just sensible to be able to say, look, if we're going to have people come in, we have to have certain standards and you know to to make sure that obvious problems that could occur like pandemics uh can be mitigated to the best of our ability it just seems sensible um but i think so can we can we talk about the groypers mm. is that okay yeah, yeah. Right? no we're Just, shutting you down turn it yeah, off yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. see i told you about the communist education system. It's in his soul. see i because I, I was I of was course we can this. talk about the groypers yeah go for yeah because yeah, because i was watching this and like the, you, you know, the, their war with you. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you're a YouTube channel. What are you going to war over, morons? You know. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so they, these seem to be white nationalists, right? Mm. As far as I can tell. Yeah. And so they're um, concerned- and, and let's just define that as well. So we know who these people are. We know where their Telegram channels are. They're they're people who send each other swastikas unironically. Yeah. All this kind. Of, they're they're, they're neo Nazis. Let's call it that. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I've I've been I, I've been talking to a few of them, and it's weird that so many of them love Hitler and hate Churchill. Mm. I'm like, and they're like, yeah, we're British nationalists. I'm like, <laughs> hmm. okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, there's an awful amount of apologia for the Nazi regime for British nationalists. Mm. But okay, so the, I'll just call them white nationalists, right? Just yeah. Just that, that, I think that's the most neutral term I can give them. They are actual <laughs> nationalists for white race, you know, the white race. Mm. Um, but the, the thing, like, demanding that you talk about their pet subject, I found interesting. Because like, well, you don't have to. And trigonometry isn't the gatekeeper to the to you know to the to the rest of the country and this you know if only trigonometry. I wish we I wish we fucking were man. That would be a real level of insult or anything. No, no, no. Like, but it it just seems like such a strange thing. And then like a bunch of them are like, oh, we're going to do it to you. And a bunch of them have posted fourteen in my chat when I was live streaming. I'm like, this is not rising up, lads. Right? You know, (laughs) this is like when they were phoning up Mike Graham and saying, Mike, what about demographics? Because there is a fundamental truth about their mm. argument that mass immigration is going to cause demographic change in the United Kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. No one can deny that. It's 100% true. The numbers are in. You know, the next census in London, especially and in Birmingham, 
they're going to be eye-opening. Mm. And I think after more than 20 years of mass immigration, I think the British people, like just generally, mm. I mean, they've always been very skeptical about mass immigration. They still are. So I think it's fair for them to assert themselves and say, well, look, we would just like less. You know, we're not going to, mm. you know, we're not going to torture immigrants or something. We're not going to chuck them off the cliffs of Dover. Mm. But we just, you know, when someone says, can I move to Britain? We'll just say, sorry, we're not allowing new people to move here at the moment. I don't think that anyone's rights are violated. I don't think anyone gets hurt. You know, nothing happens. I think that's fair. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. And yet these guys are framing it like the white race is going to die. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. even if, you know, like, let's assume everyone agreed with you, right? But you, you, if you want to, you know, move the needle on anything, and I think it is reasonable to reduce immigration. I don't, I'm not interested in kicking out every foreigner that's ever stepped foot in the country but it is Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Welcome, you know. <laughs> um, but, it's, but, but it's a reasonable request. And framing it in such unreasonable terms, you know, we want to reduce immigration. Also, Hitler did nothing wrong and the Holocaust didn't happen, <laughs> but it should have done. He's like, fucking hell, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who wants immigration reduced and I'm not a white nationalist. And as far as I'm concerned, the groupers just seem to be a, a dead weight to the cause of reducing immigration. Well, right. They make reasonable people look really, really bad because they are coming at it from the completely the wrong angle. <laughs> See, the, the thing is that like all of us would agree that immigration needs to be reduced. But And I, I am a, a fierce critic of Blair's immigration policy. And one of the reasons is that I think letting so many people in such a period of time prevented integration. And then yep. any backlash that happens as a consequence of that is going to be targeted at people like me who've actually done their utmost to integrate, right? Not enough but, in my smart as far as I'm concerned, but anyway. <laughs> absolutely, mate. Um, but so th that's the thing. But uh, having people who are genuine neo-Nazis attach themselves to very reasonable concerns that ordinary people have, and then come into our channel and start demanding that we have conversations with their favorite neo-Nazi, yeah. right? It's really annoying, isn't it? It is, uh, uh, but it's quite funny in in a way as well because these people look so childish, and I don't think they realize how pathetic they look. You know? Yeah, I saw I saw Alistair Williams uh, giving one of them a grilling the other day, mm. just saying, "Look at you, you know, you you don't look like someone worth having a conversation with," and you know, you, you know that that is in some ways true. So it's it's one of those things where it's just like, I just, I mean, it, you know, if they wanted to do something useful. Phone up, phone up James O'Brien on LBC, guys. You know, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Is there anyone who deserves to have to be, you know, constantly phoned up by neo-Nazis all day, every day, more than James <laughs> O'Brien? Like, I, I want him. I want to listen to uh, James O'Brien. not talking to a rando member of the public who's not a lunatic. I want James O'Brien to literally have to go through these Nazis' arguments day after day after day, <laughs> step by step by step, so that every call is a Nazi that he's constantly exhausted by. I just want to watch that. That sounds like primetime entertainment. That would me. be quite funny. But I mean, there is a solution to this, which is... Uh, a my final dad, solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this, is, this is my dad who uh, married a, a brown woman and produced a child who's full-on gammon. So... Mm. <laughs> He can basically, let's get him to procreate with all uh, ethnic minority people and we're just going to have people look like me, mate. I have never heard a man advocating for his dad to shag, shag around. <laughs> fucking hell, mate. Um, but, but actually, one of the things that I find quite interesting, Carl, is that the, the tactics of these people, they are exactly what Antifa do. It's quite incredible. And, and they're claiming, just like Antifa claimed, that they're exercising their free speech when they shut down conversations. This is exactly what these people do. They flood a chat room so no one else can talk, and they claim that this is about free speech. 
Well, it's a tactic, and it's it's only because it seems to be effective in the you know the, in the local like areas and in that chat room. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's because they want attention, and the thing is. Like it's not unfair. It's not unfair to worry about the. I mean, like when John Cleese said, "London isn't an English city." Mm. I'm not from London, and I agree with him. Mm. You know, well, I, if you remember, I, think, I defended him at the time, right? So you, it's not you, like you absolutely yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, the, the, yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. That's this. That's why I'm baffled. Why they think, oh yeah, trigonometry is the problem, right? Mm. I mean, like there are loads of leftists in the Guardian who are screaming, "Closing the borders is racist," and I don't care if we'll die from the coronavirus. <laughs> and yet, you guys are somehow the problem. It's yeah. like mad. You know, like like I said, guys, call James O'Brien. Be- but don't you think it, it's a little bit of it? Is it's about ego? It's about celebration of the self. It's looking oh. at results. And if you target a channel like us, and we're, we're not, you know, we're growing, but we're not a massive channel. We've only got ninety two k subs. You can see a real impact that your actions do. Whilst yeah. if you target James O'Brien at LBC, the reality is it's so massive it's going to make no dent on them whatsoever. Well, I mean, there are there are there are methods that you could uh, you could make an impact, um, it, and it would require you know, like say, like a hundred people every day. And since everyone's at home now, they can do this. You know, just just literally just jam the phone lines with Groiper callers uh, every day, and that that would have an effect. But like, but James O'Brien, you know, he's got surely millions of listeners. LBC is a mainstream station. All the politicians go on it. You know, and I'm not saying you're not mainstream or successful or anything. Like no, that, we're but not, but we're not mainstream. And also, the other thing is, we're not a debate show. Like we've had you on yeah. the show, we don't debate you. We talk to you, we interview you, we ask you some questions. Like we've never had anyone on the show where we were like we completely disagree with this person about everything. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's like the t- I I do agree with you. What you're saying is, you know, they they I think you know they they are they they think they've got a, a vulnerable target that they can attack and they think that they can do some damage to this target. And, you know, it might, might they might do some damage as well. Um, but at the end of the day, they've, they've achieved nothing. You know, they've gone no further to their goal. All they've done is made life difficult for you guys. But they actually so, haven't. Let, let's be honest about it. The, the thing is, when they give us lots of comments, I actually boost our engagement levels so it actually <laughs> helps us so uh, yeah. uh all our kind of income from our patreon subscribes and also you know people see them treating us unfairly and they want to support us so we our donations have shot up and everything else uh but it oh, just good. it's just uh, it just seems like uh, uh what my concern with that is that these people are very easy to associate with uh, people who are more in line with your way of thinking and then People like yeah. you get tarnished by association with people with who you completely despise and have nothing in common with. Yeah, it's it's rather annoying being called alt right after I spent like a year of my life actively driving them out of my spaces. Right. And one of the most one of the most annoying things is when YouTube and Facebook decided to deplatform uh, people who are alt right. You know, like content creators who own the idea and own the phrase and own the movement um, uh, because th- that's you know they could congregate there. So their their comment sections be filled with alt-right comments, and you know what I'm talking about. Mm. And as soon as these people are deplatformed, well, they still want to talk about the same subjects. Now they're coming to like your chat, my chat, and things like this, my my comment sections. And I'm just like, God damn it, YouTube. You know, I don't want these people wasting my mm. time mm. with these, you know, these things. They they they're, they're not they're not sensible, in my opinion. But um, but yeah, but basically I just think that the gropers should stop being cowards and go off and do something useful for once. But I don't think they will. So. No. And where do you stand on the issue of censorship with these particular people? 
So a lot of them have their, like you said, have their YouTube channel taken down. Do you think that YouTube should be a sort of truly free speech platform where you're allowed to say anything, no matter how awful or vile? Or do you think there should be limits within that? Well, I mean, naturally there should be limits, like, you know, th- uh, threats, incitement, things like that, you know, and, and open harassment. You know, I can see why that would be something that would be uh, something YouTube would want to forbid. I mean, let's be fair. YouTube is way beyond that. Oh yeah, you know, they, 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 it is really bad. And they're just taking. You know, they took a, a few months ago. They just took down a spate of channels, and these channels, you know, hadn't done anything to violate the guidelines. They weren't in violation of any of the policies. It was just one day take them down. I mean, I got my channel, my Acad Daily channel, demonetized out of the blue, and YouTube told me that it was for harassment. Okay, well, who did I harass? YouTube, they couldn't, they, none of, I didn't get a strike. None of my videos got strikes. So normally like you, you get a strike on a video. So they take that video down and you get a strike for, you know, whatever community guideline they felt you breached, mm. but I didn't get any strikes. I, I've, I've done nothing. They can't, I, I emailed them and I got some responses and they couldn't tell me what video that they were criticizing, what I'd even said. Mm. And yet they were doing it anyway. And so it really feels like essentially they're looking at, uh, the approaching November election in America and, uh, you know, clearing the field i think but um but yeah it's 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 quite annoying how they're getting so the noose is getting quite tight it I is do man think that youtube youtube really should l- relax this somewhat i really think so hmm. but it's it, sorry constant no i was just gonna say that, that we talked about this uh, when we had some of our video demonetized and you had me on your show uh that actually one of the things that happens is you end up in a position where they demonetize you, but they still run ads on your fucking videos. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, in fact, there was a comment this morning. I woke up this morning. I was just, you know, checking to see if my channel's still there, which is my day now. You know, I get up, mm-hmm. have they deleted my channel yet? No. <laughs> but one, one of the first comments I saw was someone said there were eight mid roll adverts on this video. And I'm like, Jesus, what? you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, putting one is enough, but eight apparently, and I don't see a penny of that. So it's like, Christ, you know, it's about taking advantage. You know what I mean? It's really feel like, you know, it's quite frustrating. And I don't, I really wish YouTube wouldn't be so, I, I mean, I don't want to say abusive, but it is a kind of form of abuse to continually treat people like this. They treat their own content creators like we're the enemy because we're not Silicon Valley progressives. It's like, dude, Bad luck, but most people are not Silicon Valley progressives. You know, that doesn't make them bad or bigoted. That just means they're not radical leftists from California. And isn't the problem as well is that they've effectively got a monopoly. This is really, oh, yeah. if you want to do this type of content, this is the only platform you can do it on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, saying that, right, um, Alex Jones, dare I bring him up, has a site called Band.Video, which gets surprisingly good numbers in the hundreds of thousands on a lot of their videos. So I think that um, essentially all of this censure, and there, there, are, there are lots, it's not just Alex Jones on it, but he created the platform to have the resources mm. to do it. There, there are lots of people who have otherwise been censored on there. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, far right or like, you know, neo-Nazi or anything like that. It's libertarian. That's what, you mm. know, that's the sort of way it is. And so you get like, um, you know, the, uh, what's her name, Caitlin Bennett, the gun girl, who goes around the campuses interviewing uh, students and things like that is people like that, you know, people who will be, who will willfully misgender, for example. And that's considered a high crime now, you know, mm. whereas, you know, to a sort of libertarian conservative, they don't think about that at all. It doesn't even register on their moral compass, you know? Mm. And I, th- I think it is a bit unfair to have sprung these kind of 
uh, new standards on them because it is very ideological. You know, if, if, if you are a biological essentialist, shall we say, then you are completely and ideologically locked out from entire spheres of engagement, like on Twitter. I mean, I know some, I, like Zuby, for example. Mm. Our friend Zuby, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. Okay, dude. Mm. Suspended. Like, day suspension. It's like, come on. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it just... It, it goes on and it will continue going on. And, uh, you know, but it does look like there might, might be options. There might be. Well, there's a, there's a problem with some of these platforms in that, you know, if they suspend and then they, these people go onto other platforms and what you're creating is an entire subculture. And then what happens is these people end up radicalizing themselves. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And I mean, Francis is quoting my last Telegraph piece, by the way. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's completely true. Like, they, they, it seems to be forgotten that the way to de-radicalize someone is exposure to something. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, if if you want if you want the the alt right to hate brown people less, then they, you know, they you you would want them to speak to these people and understand that they are human too. You know, they have their own concerns and cares, and and they're not insensitive to the necessary to the concerns of the you know either side. And there doesn't have to be this giant chasm. But if you if you just persecute someone and say right, you know, we're watching you, and then we're going to deplatform you, and we're going to stigmatize you, then that's in no way deconverting anyone. That's no no one was a, no one was like, well, I was a Nazi until I got deplatformed. Then I was like, you know what? That's right. The Jews don't control the media. <laughs> that's not how they think. They no, they no. just go, well, there we go. You know, look at this guy. Look, this guy with a Jewish surname wrote an article about me, and then I got deplatformed. There we go. It's the Jews. You know, it's confirmation. It confirms everything that they already believe and drives them deeper into their beliefs. It's the worst thing to do. What you should have. I mean, like on Question Time the other day, there was a lady who wanted to stop mass immigration. She just looked like a regular working class lady to me. And everyone freaked out going, oh God, this is far right propaganda. It's like, dude, this is the majority of the opinion opinion of the country. You know, if she's too controversial, then I don't know what we're going to do. You know, you've narrowed the range of debate to a very, very narrow uh, position. And yet it was like uh, Baroness Warsi and a Labour MP who were petitioning the BBC to make sure that they couldn't have those sort of opinions on again. It's like, look, I think that the BBC has a duty. If we all have to pay for it, they have a duty to put those people on. And if they're wrong, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll have it out. You know, I think with that woman, the issue probably might have been, I mean, in a lot of these issues, it's uh, a lot, there's a kind of, there's a level of classism involved as well. Like I think if she was a middle class person, then she'd phrased it differently. I mean, I don't think, by the way, that the majority of the people in this country would subscribe to what that woman said, which was, we must Not end the, all immigration. Yeah, completely. No, that's too extreme. But yeah. like, it, you know, in, in polling, some between 50 and 70% of people agree there's been too much immigration. Yeah. Oh, I, but the, yeah. but that's my point. Like, I think she, it's the way she phrased it, and maybe also yeah. an element of the extremist part of the sentiment. Uh, mm-hmm. but no, yeah. I'm not saying she's an extremist. I'm saying that way of thinking is towards the extreme, right? I don't it, think it, it's a it's a hardline position she's yeah. taken. You know? Right. Because I mean, I, but I if she was like, a middle class person, I think she'd get a different response. Is my point. Yeah. 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 They would. They wouldn't nearly be so scornful of her and yeah. uh, you know dismissive and I. Again, as if as if this is not a legitimate opinion. It is a legitimate opinion. You know, it's it's one of the things that well really did drive the Brexit referendum. Is immigration was too high? You look at the Lord Ashcroft polls. Um, immigration is a problem. We've had it for such a long time, and there are genuinely like the like the the, the reason I brought the groupers is because they always go on oh, demographics, demographics, demographics. Well, it's true. You know, it is true. The numbers are in um, on the on the 
Birmingham Council website I found the other day that only um, one third of Birmingham school children are English. The rest come from uh, foreign extraction. It's like, okay, well, that's something that does have to be talked about. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's irresponsible to think that that can just be stamped down, mm. you know, because the, the real people on the ground, the regular person, they can see the change happening oh, of around. Yeah, of course. You know, you know, but you but this is, this is the point with these gripes, Francis, before, before you ask your question and our final question. The, the point with them is that where do we go from here, right? The reality is that, as I was saying, massive opposition from me to, to the Blair Immigration Project. But the people are here now, right? And the only way you can have a multi-ethnic society is for us to have a common identity, which is fortunately one that we have. We can say that I can say that I'm British and Francis can say that he's British and you can say that we're British. And what we actually mean by that is we have a common set of values and yep. identities based around those shared values. The problem that we've had over the last 20 years is the far left has deliberately attempted to destroy that identity and to say there's no such thing as British identity. There's no such thing as British values. And what that leaves us, well, if there's no identity, then we all retreat into our ethnicity. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great way of framing it. And they've been very clever about it as well, because normally when when called to account for one's own value system and culture, um, no, you don't have to, right? And on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a lot of a lot of it is kind of like you know it when you see it, right? Like you know, regardless of where Francis says his parents are from, I hear a Londoner, right? Right. And I, I hear a Brit. You know, that's there's no question of it. Like, so it's you know a lot of the time. But if if I turn around and say Francis, what's a British person? You go, oh God, I don't know. You know, I mean, like you know. And then you get like John Major's answer, which is cricket on a green on a summer day. You know, he doesn't know. But, that, that, but what he's saying is that's something that was uniquely British. You know, that, that only really happens in Britain. You know, you don't get the same atmosphere in, say, Pakistan when they're playing cricket. It's a different huh. thing, you know. And so it's essentially the, the, the postmodernists have been very, very aggressive on this point. They're very clever about it because it requires you to sort of find the maxims upon which the thing is founded. And I think that if... Some would say, okay, what is, what's it mean to be British then? I think that the the most important thing we could say is that the highest value is fairness. You know, the, the most important thing, the British value is fairness. Mm. Above all things, you know, mm. it, it, like it really doesn't matter what else it is. I think it's always filtered through a prism of fairness. And there's there are a lot of aspects to this as well. I won't go into now, but like the, it, it, it is this sort of shared value. But it's also the characteristics of the thing, right? As in... You know, we 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 talk about the weather. You know, we dress in suits. We we you know we have a union jack. We have red telephone boxes and buses. You know, and, and and so when if you look at like the Falkland Islands, my my dad served in the Falkland Islands because he was in the RAF. You see a picture of it and and Gibraltar as well, right? Gibraltar looks like Britain with palm trees. That's it. You know, hmm. uh, it's and and the Falkland Islands look like Britain with walruses on the beaches. You know. But, you know, it's the same sort of sign format, the same style of building, the same, you know, the, the same atmosphere that the, you know, the cultural signifiers of just the country. And, and I imagine the behavior of the people is also similar. This is the point. Very, yeah. Right. Yeah, very, very. But that's really the point yeah. is if people behave in similar ways, that's yes. what culture is. It's not about your skin color, right? That's the Absolutely. point. Yeah. Culture is the thing that people do, you know, yeah. the expression of it, yeah. But the, what the left, to me, uh, have done, in particular that aspect of the left, is they've criticised the, 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 the sort of the British state 
And part mm -hmm. of the thing they say is, you know, it's built on the blood of slavery. It's, it's a shame and it's a disgrace. And, and, you know, and it's all the rest of it. Um, and then to therefore identify as British means that you therefore are sort of born in almost into a, like an, an original sin. You're born into the shame and to the evils of your forebears, regardless yeah. of what they did. Do you well, ascribe to that? I mean, I, I personally don't ascribe to that myself. I think that people should be judged on their individual merits. Yeah. Um, but they, they, you, there is there is a way of looking at it where they're not necessarily wrong. I mean, if you if you want to have a continuity of identity and feel that you have something in common as a descendant of people who lived in the past, mm. um, they, I mean, and you are, it's clear, there is a, a continuity. So you... If you if you grow up with cultural values that are British, well, these are cultural values that have been inherited and developed, and you know maybe improved or, or degraded. Um, but it's it is a continuity and a consequence of what came before. Um, but to anyone who wants to stigmatize something as being all bad and no in no way good, um, that's a person who I think is trying to get one over on you. To be honest, because we know it's that's not true. I mean the. The British Empire, one of the, I was, I was listening to a Churchill speech the other day, and he was speaking against Nazi Germany, saying, look, Nazi Germany stands against everything the British Empire stands for. And by the definition they've given you, I mean, what the hell would the British Empire stand for? You know, slavery and, you know, imperialism. But that wasn't how they thought of themselves. You know, they, they thought of themselves as actually, in many ways, liberating the world from things that are terrible. And in many ways, they did. I mean, it was the British Empire that ended the slave trade and ended slavery around the world. It wasn't the Germans. It wasn't, you know, the Chinese or anyone else. You know, we, we actively spent our blood and treasure on a moral mission that was against our economic interest because it was the right thing to do. And they, you get, and, and let's not say that Britain didn't do anything wrong. Obviously, we <laughs> did, you know. But every, everyone, everyone is, you know. So the way, the way I look at this is morality is a technology, right? Morality is not something that came fully formed from the ether that we just chose to ignore, right? And so the invention of slavery was actually a moral innovation because prior to that, it was just murder. And so instead, the, the, you know, the, the conquerors were like, oh, we can make them farm our crops or whatever. Not not optimal, obviously, terrible situation, but it's probably better than having a head calf, right? And you know, and you get this kind of long development of morality. And it, the only reason that we would want to, we, the, I mean, it was for moral reasons that Britain ended the slave trade because the the, the British have never really tolerated slavery. They've never had it in Britain, really. Uh, it was William the Conqueror outlawed the slave trade, not for any altruistic reasons, but just because he thought he could make more money. Uh, he mm -hmm. thought that if he could catch uh, slavers, then he could just take their money, and that was it. You know, so it was a it was a source of revenue. But that ingrains in the society that slavery is just not a normal thing. And then, you know, we we it was England that eventually essentially created the kind of the sort of liberal spirit of freedom, the idea of personal freedom that we have, and so it was natural that it was going to be England that said, no, we're not having the slave trade. Actually, this is actually, because I mean, like there, there was, um, there was a petition that was something like 30,000 signatures and a mile long that the women of England stitched together, so, had got signed, stitched together and delivered to parliament. And you can view it on the parliamentary website, you know, and it's, it's, it, you know, this is a lot of work, you know, and that's a lot of feeling and depth of feeling behind it. And so when someone says, Oh, the British Empire is nothing but evil. Well, I disagree. And contemporaneously, who would you have preferred to be in charge of the world? 
Well, this is, a, this is the, this is the thing. This is the thing that people always forget. And I'll say this before we ask you our last question, mm-hmm. is that everything exists in comparison, right? Yes. So if you're saying that the British Empire was this evil slave-owning uh, empire, then there's an element of truth to that because that's what it was. It invaded other countries. It took people as slaves, blah, 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 blah. But what we see around the world today is that there are places in the world where there's more slavery than we've ever had. And are we saying that those people, had they been in our place, had they won that battle of civilizations, they wouldn't have had slaves? Of course they would. And they did, right? Yep. So it, it's all about, yes, okay, we've got to reflect on our past and learn from it, but do we need to con- continually beat ourselves up about it? I don't. I really don't think so. Well, in, in, in the regards to slavery, we did learn. Right. So that's so so it would be re- it would be ridiculous to reject, you know, the, the positive identity of being British mm. on the back of slavery. Because it's like, no, this is one of our greatest moral contributions to humanity. Mm. Like slavery is a scourge that plagued every society from the dawn of recorded history. And the British were like, actually, that's enough. And and we're supposed to, I mean, like, you know, for, for any anyone who would impugn us on this. Like we've done a lot wrong, but that's not one of those things. You know, that's something that we can be proud of, and I think we should be proud of. And it, and you're right, you're absolutely right. Like, for example, the Islamic empires didn't end slavery. No, you know, the Chinese didn't end slavery. You know, the Aztecs and all these other. You know, but it it came from a particular kind of philosophy that was developed in England, and was fortunate enough to be at the helm of world power when it came to the time where it could be ended, and we did. So we should we should we should be able to hold on to that like a rock in the face of these kind of attacks. Say no, actually, very few other countries were interested in doing what Britain did, and we did it even though it cost. I mean, we we only finished paying off the debt that we incurred by ending the slave trade in 2014. Right? We, I, holy you as shit. Well, I'm not joking. It's, Mate, I want my money back. My Russian ancestors had nothing to do with this shit. Mate, my surname is Benjamin, right? Not because I am of any Jewish descent, but because on my father's side, my grandfather came from St. Helena. St. Helena was a slave island off the coast, of, like near Africa. And it was in 1792 that the slave trade was pro- prohibited there. I don't know why it was earlier than everywhere else, actually. But for some reason, it was. But the, 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 the reason I say this is because at some point in my father's lineage, he, you know, my, my ancestors will have been slaves. And I know this because what happens upon manumission is that you take the surname of the slave, the first name of the your, the slave owner, as the surname of the manumitted slave. So, at some point in my father's lineage, at so, you know hundreds of years ago, uh, someone called Benjamin something will have had slaves, and my family would have been part of those slaves. And yet, I have finished paying for the slave trade. You know? <laughs> it's my money that goes through as my reparations. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but the, the the this is the thing, isn't it? Like it's it gets silly. You can't fix history. All right, all right mate. You're an honorary Jew, and hence a welcome target for the Gripers. Here they come. But you know what? You know what I love is some of these, in particular, lefty sort of liberal comedians who say things like, you know, you know, Britain is you know built on the blood of slavery, and they they all go into it. And then you see them next week go. Anyway, guys, really looking forward to my gigs in Dubai. See you later. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Is, for anyone who doesn't know, like Dubai is like an eighty percent indentured servitude. Yeah, something like that. It's it's wild. <laughs> All right, Francis. Let, uh, we're, we're running out of time. We've done an hour and fifteen minutes. Carl, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. We're going to hit you with our last question. And the last question is: What's the one thing that we're not talking about as a society that we really need to be? The twenty twenty one census.
that's that's the thing it's it's this is really going to be the eye opener because all of the all of the data on population demographics we have uh comes from the 2011 one apart from like some local ones which is why you like the birmingham school children for mm. example but i don't know what the population of birmingham looks like because we don't have that information yet because the census hasn't been done um and the 2021 census is going to be the census where people like nigel farage will be proven right basically mm. and you know there, there was a problem with mass immigration after 10 years of it it probably does need to change and it's it's looming on the horizon and it's getting closer and closer and it'll be it'll, it'll be the subject of quite fiery debate i have no doubts well, thanks very much for coming on, Carl, and we'll see you again, everybody. Uh, we've got another episode uh, we're releasing on Sunday with uh, Dr. David Stark. He's so excited and stuff, but uh, thanks oh, very much for coming. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? So that, that's coming very soon. As we've told you, during this time of corona, we're going to be putting out a piece of content pretty much every day. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow. Take care and goodbye. See you later, guys. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.